We turn now to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. The text to which I draw your attention is especially verses 4 through 10, though mention will be made of the context. You know the word of God, Jeremiah chapter 1, 1 through 17. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were with Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. He came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it is facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, They shall come, and each one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Therefore prepare yourself and arise." That's as far as I'll read of that verse. We'll comment on that later. At the occasion of the baptism of Jeremiah Michael, we would hear a fitting word of the calling of Jeremiah the prophet. And there are many things of significance about this calling, about the whole work of Jeremiah the prophet prophesied in the 7th and 6th centuries B.C. in Judah. And we read in the text that he prophesied in the days of good King Josiah and then of other kings, namely Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, even until the ends of of Jerusalem's existence, they were carried away captive. There were other kings as well, Jehoiachin, for example, 
but they're not mentioned. Their, their reigns were only three months apiece. So his reign or his, his prophecy, his years of prophecy were many. He prophesied 40 years and plus, and he was this significant prophet. In fact, one of the greatest significances of Jeremiah was that he was a prophet of the judgment of God. That was his dim calling, but his great calling, as we shall see. So Jeremiah and the calling of Jeremiah. We want to consider especially a couple of things with regard to Jeremiah's call in application to the baptism of a Jeremiah and with regard to our calling as well. The first is that word that came to Jeremiah and verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him saying and so on. That word, you know, some 52 times in Jeremiah, the word of the Lord is mentioned, a fitting phrase to bespeak his calling to bring the word of the Lord, but that's some 20% or a fifth of all of the uses of the word of the Lord in the whole of the Bible. So one book, uh, a fifth of the uses of all of the concept of the word of the Lord. There is something significant about Jeremiah in connection with the word of the Lord. And then we want to consider, and this is how this applies to us and to the family and and to all of us as children of God. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and God spoke to him at this time. But we want to address that aspect of this, this prophecy here, of his calling. The word of the Lord is not just mentioned abstractly as in a dogmatics book. But it's something that comes to Jeremiah, and it made all the difference. And so we want to see as well how this makes all the difference, because the same word, which is of the Lord, it's not any man's word, comes to us as well. All has to do with God's sovereign grace and mercy, his electing sovereign grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus the very word and communication of God to heaven, or God to earth. So let's consider which uh, that, first of all, which is on the foreground of this, that the calling of Jeremiah was in eternity. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and so on. That's what Jeremiah needs to know here for encouragement for his whole ministry. And then we need to hear how this word of the Lord and this call of Jeremiah played out on the ground for Jeremiah himself. And so it's not just eternity and the palaces of heaven and that place where there's just no sin and and everything, but on the ground, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and to all of us. And then finally, that this call of Jeremiah is for the duration. Jeremiah had a hard go. And his was an uh, almost impossible calling, and not the least of which made it impossible was that he was not befriended by the people of God, but resisted by the people of God to whom he had to bring the word of judgment. And so we consider the call of Jeremiah, first of all, in eternity. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. 
when little Jeremiah will grow up and be taught some things and come to consciousness, understand what life is all about, he'll no doubt consider what his calling is. And we all are concerned, what's, what's my calling? What's our calling in life? What significance do we have? What purpose are we meant to fulfill on this earth? And so we can get all hot about that. In fact, very heated and, and disturbed when we think of what we're doing now and it doesn't seem like much of a calling. Mothers can think of that when they're raising children and then one and then two and then three and then, and then ten. Uh, what am I doing? Changing diapers and saying no 99% of my day. What are we doing? What are we doing in life? Digging ditches and working at computers, even making sermons. What are we doing? What is the purpose of our, what's our calling? Well, I submit to you that one of the problems we have is that we're first of all, all but consumed of that, about that calling that God has for us, and that's a good thing, but we're so consumed by it so often that we forget what the calling means to God and the word of God means to God. So in other words, what I'm calling to your attention is that before Jeremiah needed to ponder that word of the Lord that came to him and how it came to him, He's led here to ponder the word of the Lord before there was a Jeremiah, before there was conception, before there was romance among parents and then conception, before we had plans to have these children and so on. There was God before. And I dare say that this word the first word of Jeremiah's calling about God and eternity planning things and calling things and forming things is the word that Jeremiah ought to have taken heed to all the day when he was preaching in Jerusalem and preaching to the nations and being resisted and being lowered into the pit, uh, there left to die. He had, had to consider and he would have been comforted in the consideration of the God of the word, the God of the call, and not even, first of all, the word and the call that came to him. There's something important here about us all when we're considering what God is to us and what God, what's going on in the world. Isaiah had to think of that, too, when he was called, Isaiah 6. God is the first thing. The truth of God. God eternal, but that's how he's presented here. God eternal, who is before Jeremiah, who is far more significant than, than Jeremiah. Oftentimes, and we're, result, we're struggling with our calling, even we can think that we are the significant ones or the things getting in our way, maybe the boss or maybe the fact that I'm married, getting in the way of of all that I can do and all that I can be. And I say that can be the problem because we're forgetting God and theology and truth 
as it is in Jesus even. For God is this God of the word before the word comes to us. Or he's simply not God. You know that, children? God has a word that he speaks to himself before, he's, before we're even born, before we hear of anything of God, before the foundations of the world. God had word. And the word we know is his son. But you think of that. God was communicating to himself. He's a life. And he doesn't need us, thank you, to live to the fullest. But he has his word. And he's the significant one. That's what the, the Hebrew word holy means. He's the, the one of kavod, the one of weight, of significant. He's the God of weight. And the idols of the world are lightweights. They're nothing. And we are less than the dust on the balance. This is what the whole Bible is reminding us of. Think of God and and think of that communication he has, the Father and the Son in the bond of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful God, covenanting in the family before he added to the family, as it were. Not that we become little divinities, or our children do, but he adds to the family in love and embraces us. Before that, God in eternity. This is the God who reminds us that he was before a Jeremiah who was formed, who also says in Psalm 90, before the mountains were formed, I am God. That always God is the God of his word. And that's the word that he has, which is a communication of this father and son, this delight in one another, this saying, I love you and I love you back, and this wonderful God who is personal, This communication, however, destined to be spoken outside of himself. Now, is this too abstract? I commend to you that often when churches neglect to speak of this first, this truth of theology, this is the beginning of the parting of the ways of the church that does this neglect, from the faith of our fathers, who were, which, which was always speaking of God. God. God and this word. God and this word by whom and for whom all the worlds were made. See, there's the word first getting out. God speaks in his counsel to himself and with himself, and it's all lovely, and yet... He has determined there's going to be something I'm going to say outside of myself. And so he speaks. Let there be, and there is, something outside of himself that's not part of himself. That's vain philosophy. But something outside of himself in distinction from himself, but has for its structure and status a dependence upon the fact that God said something and now he will continue to say something and provide everything for the something he's made by his word so that it has existence and meaning. So God, by Jesus, that's his word. And for him created all things. That's the commentary of Genesis 1 and John 1 and Colossians 1. 
God in the word will speak the word of his son and create all things for his sake and so that he comes into the world. All the world's a stage and he's the main actor. I speak as a man to men who've seen shows and too many reality shows. Christ is the reality of God, the word. So, here before Jeremiah is formed, has any existence whatsoever, there's God. Doesn't need to be formed, but is the great former. And this God, of course, we know when Jesus speaks into the nothingness at first, and then he must speak into the sinful world and command that there be life out of death and light out of the darkness. So in the beginning is the word with God, and then in the fullness of time, God speaks the word, and the word is made flesh and dwells among us, and we behold his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus. So now it comes to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord comes to me. It comes to me. Amazing. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That word, and then all that follows, comes to a mere man. Maybe he's 17, 20, at the time that this word of the Lord comes to him. And it makes all the difference. No doubt, Jeremiah, a covenant child, had been instructed by his parents of the things of God. He was this child of God in the Environs, the neighborhood of Jerusalem, some three miles away in Anatote, which is the, the, the city of the priests. So he could look upon Jerusalem and its priests and so on, and he was a priest, and, and now this word comes to him and reminds him that he's known of God. And this is beautiful. There is this God who knows him. There's this God who is, this God of this word who, who knows him before he's formed. How can God know anything before things are formed? Well, because he's God. And he commands the end from the beginning. He gives reality to things. His knowledge, in fact, is not just in looking ahead and see, I know this, and I'm omniscient. That's, that's great enough. But his knowledge is this love. I loved you. This is the idea of foreknowledge in the Bible. Those whom I foreknow, I predestinate, and then I glorify. There's this love. This unconditional, it has to be because we're not there. But in love, he says, I knew you. And even before you were born, maybe still being formed in the womb, I sanctified you, which could mean I made you holy internally or simply could refer to the fact that because I chose you, that's his idea here, I knew you to choose you, to ordain you to be a prophet. Therefore, I'm setting you aside 
This idea of sanctification that way. You are set aside. There is a special use for you. There's a special existence for you. The word of the Lord, God is, is making this existence for you, and God is knowing that this is significant, and God doesn't know just insignificant things, beloved. He knows, and when he knows and he speaks what he knows, he says, let there be significance. Let there be male. Let there be female. Let there be prophets. Let there come into this world the Christ. But Jeremiah, the word of the Lord comes to him at that time, reminding him of his call. He's loved, he's set apart, he's ordained or appointed to be a prophet. And not just a prophet, and any ordinary prophet, uh, you would say, if prophets can ever be said to be ordinary, to Jerusalem or just to the people of God. This is, look at this, he's a prophet to the nations. Or we could read against the nations, and that's how this plays out. He's always against the nations. But he's, there's, there's international significance here. How, how significant can you get if you want to be in this world? You've got to be international. Your corporation has to go international. You can't just live in your little bayou somewhere or your Dutch enclave. You've got to have international significance. And here's one. Jeremiah speaks to the nations. All right. That's eternity and eternity coming to a person. And this is what little Jeremiah has to think about when he thinks. As now he's outside of the womb and he's in the arms of mom and dad, really in all of our arms. What's this word of the Lord mean now? Forever, in eternity, and now to me. What is, what's Christ? Who, who is this word? What is God saying in Jesus? And now to me. Has he really come to me? Is he real? Has he really spoken to me? You wrestle with those things. And we all should examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. we covenanted with. Are we covenanting with? God and one another. Well, here's Jeremiah's response, and it bespeaks the need of God speaking to him, rather directly and abruptly even, and thoroughly. Because when the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, the first thing he does is make excuses. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm a youth. I suppose that's better than, all right, here I go. You've spoken to me. I knew you'd speak to me because I am such a great guy. I knew you had great things for me. I'm going to roll up my sleeves now. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go anywhere you say. doesn't matter. He's a young man now, probably. Full of the braggadocia, the strength, the energy, 
and the naivete of youth and pride. But I wonder if this is any better. This is a kind of humility afterwards, uh, after all, which is not acceptable. You understand that? There's a kind of humility that's not acceptable. There's a kind of humility that says, I'm too little. (laughs) I'm too little for God to do anything with. And that kind of humility, which leads to doubts and which leads to all kinds of waywardness and, and lack of purpose, is a doubting of the greatness of God, the kind of Humility that thinks too little of itself is the kind of humility that thinks too much of God or thinks too little of God. Yes, think little of yourself. You're nothing. You're a sinner. Jeremiah is a sinner. We're all sinners. We're born in Adam. We need to be born again by the word of God and the spirit of God. But when God calls us and the word of the Lord comes to us, There's no excuse for inaction and positive, believing reaction in the God who is truly the God of his word. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Here's the excuse he gives of being too young. Moses, remember, he gave excuses. He he couldn't speak. He didn't have the gift of eloquence. He stuttered. Or did something. And it wasn't enough, he thought, to, for God even to, to use him. But here he, he speaks of youth. That's an excuse. We can give all kinds of excuses too, can't we? Oh, now, that's going to put me in hot water if I, if I go there. If I say this to the boss, uh, <laughs> My God's telling me what you're doing is, is corrupt. Uh, I don't want to do that. I, I cannot say that. I'll lose my job. Well, there's a thousand excuses, isn't there, that we can come up with. And one of the excuses can be we're too old. We can find an excuse for anything. We're too old. We're too old to continue on. We're too old. We're on the shelf. Now it's time for vacation or other things. We're too old. It's understandable that Jeremiah had his problem, especially in the light of the fact that he would bring the word of the Lord to enemies. For when one is ordained to be a prophet to the nation, nations, he's ordained to be a prophet to fallen nations. And even Israel at this time was a nation which had become just like the other nations. That's one reason I, I strongly am persuaded that Israel is included in this word, the nations. After all, Jeremiah will go first to Jerusalem. We read him walking the streets of Jerusalem in chapter 2. Not just to the nations, but to Israel as a people that have become just like the nations. 
But the fact is, beloved, we know that Israel was not supposed to be like the nations. Jeremiah, Numbers 23, Balaam the prophet, or the magician, will even say of the people that he's called to look upon and curse, they can't be cursed. They must be blessed because they're God's people. They're a people dwelling alone, Jeremiah 23, 9, not reckoning itself among the nations. But now here... They are reckoned among the nations. This is a startling turn of events. This is the midnight of Jerusalem, the darkest hour. And though Josiah is working on reform and Jeremiah will be another great asset to this reformation, it won't happen. The apostasy that's begun will proceed They will slide completely off the hill, and now they're just like the nations. Amazing. So Jeremiah prophesies to that people, and he'll weep, he'll get resisted, he'll get thrown into the hole, and and all these things will happen because they're a sinful people, as Jeremiah is led to hear later on in the prophecy I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they've forsaken me, burned, that's Judah, they've forsaken me, burned incense to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Now that is why it's understandable that Jeremiah would say, oh no, I'm too young, when he really meant I'm too afraid. And I'm not, I'm not up for the hassle. You can say that, too, in church where I'm not up for it. Where I'm not up for it anymore. Nobody understands. Jeremiah, the same way. Far worse, even, seems. And for 23 years, first part of his ministry to Judah and Jerusalem, walking the streets, there's not one instance of a conversion of anybody listening one time he Jeremiah collects his writings whole collection of the works of Jeremiah the devotionals of Jeremiah and he presents them to the king Jehoiakim Jehoiakim looks at it probably just Jeremiah's on it throws it in the fire. That's how much they thought of the word of God. The word of the God who's forever and who's more significant than his people even. He's God. And so it's no wonder that Jeremiah is not really um, up for this. But, of course, God is because God has spoken to Jeremiah. God has spoken. God has this word. He will not be resisted, at least for long. He will overcome. He's God and who gets his way and who's never frustrated. And so you have verse 7. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth or do not say I'm too old or do not say I stutter or don't say my husband's too much or too little, my wife is, or these children are too much. Don't, don't say that. 
I'm not much. Because the Lord says, don't say that. That's enough reason. You can say, well, but I feel like that. <laughs> Facts, not your feelings, right? The Lord said to me, do not say that. No excuses. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Not be afraid of their faces. He, he lets them know you're going to have conflict. For I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And then the Lord touches, puts forth his hand, touches his mouth, and says to him, I put my words in your mouth. I've set you also to be like a king over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, throw down, and to build and to plant. And then he sends another word and gives Jeremiah to see something. So he speaks to him, he touches him, he puts the words in his mouth, and he says, now you come and look at this, this almond tree and this boiling pot from the north. In all those ways, God's encouraging, encouraging his prophet, whom God knew would react that way. God knows what he's working with, beloved. Jeremiah's all, sinners all, with excuses, in every pocket, self-justifications, in every argument, and God says, shh, quiet. You know how children, mom and dad, say sometimes you're upset? Shh, be quiet. It's okay. Here's what I'm going to do. And God lays it out. Jeremiah is too young, he hasn't gone to school, but he's ordained. He's called. And that makes all the difference. He's God's man. Don't say I'm youth. And... And he just says, you're going to go to everywhere I say, and you're going to say whatever I tell you to say. Hmm. That, that, um, that seems like a good plan for many of us because it sounds like God's going to spell it out, right? I'm going to spell it. Here's where you're going to go, Jerusalem today, and you go to Dan, and you go to Bethel. And, and then you're going to go to Ukraine. Or you're going to stay here, Sovereign Grace. It's all, it's all laid out. And he writes it down, and there it is, right, on a piece of paper. And then here's what you're going to say. Here's a sermon. You just speak it. What I say to you, I'm going to give you your sermon. And here's how you apply the word of God, Jeremiah, Michael, and Elizabeth, and all of us. Here's how you apply the word of God to raising your children. Here's what you say. Does God say that? Does God spell it all out? And you young people, here's, here's I'm going to just tell you. Here's a piece of paper. Doesn't do that, does he? And it's a good thing. He gives us principles. He gives us the words of the word. He gives us the heart of it, Jesus, and the gospel, and why we're living to be thankful, but then he does something we often don't like. He says, now I'm going to work 
I've come to you. I've spoken to you. Now I'm going to work in you so that you pray and you find out my will for you in praying. You deny yourself. You engage in the brutal battle of the flesh. And you put off the old man that will seek to thwart my will at every turn and deny my word at every turn. That's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> We'd like it easier, but that would be like liking to be a machine, wouldn't it? Or even children liking to go back in the Old Testament when they had it all spelled out for them and pictured out and wisdom. That's what we need and parents need and all of us need. Wisdom. And to remember the important things about the word we need to remember, like the promises of God, like this one, I'm with you to deliver you. Verse 8. This whole thing reads like a great commission, doesn't it? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go and baptize the nations. We, we did that, Lord, today. We baptized a little part of the nations. And teaching them to observe all things, discipling them, so on. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what he's saying here. It's like a great commission. You do this, and as you're doing this, you will know that I am with you. I'm guiding you. And that's the word we often forget. Everything else is with us. These problems are with us. My youthfulness is with me. I'm Italian, can't change it. I'm not you, might wish I were, but no, I'm me. And you're you. And all that stuff isn't really what matters. Your past doesn't matter. Your present or your future doesn't matter compared to this. God, who's with you, the God who speaks to you, is with you. And that makes all the difference. For anyone who would be called like Jeremiah, called like Christ, on his behalf, to get the message out, for the salvation of the nations. And actually, though, when God goes further on and, and details, and I can't go into this much, um, he details the calling. He tells, uh, this is why he's really going to need to know God is with him. Because for Jeremiah, it's four steps back, four steps backwards, and then only two forward. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 10. See, I've set you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, one step back, to pull down, another step, to destroy, another step, and to throw down. That's four steps. And then two steps forward to build and to plant. So the first work of Jeremiah was demolition, breaking down, Taking out the furniture, taking out the self-righteousness, calling the sinners to repent, get rid of the idols, 
Preach like you will. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Speak to the heart. Circumcise the heart. That's what he's got to say. To the people of God and to the nations, of course. And so that's what he has to do. And then you can build on that. Because then the foundation is Jesus. You can plant on that because the soil is the word of God. There it goes. That's how God works. And that's for us too. So often in the ministry and in our callings, we're discouraged by what seems to be negative work. And people don't like in the pulpit that you've got to do all this rooting out and pulling down and destroying and throwing down. And so you preach the first part of the catechism, and what's your only comfort in life and death? Well, wait. First, how great are your sins and misery? You've got to do that first. People don't like that, but this is biblical. You preach the word of salvation to those who know the problem, and to the word of God you come, and with the word of God you come with the right diagnosis, and with the right prognosis. If people don't repent and aren't built on the rock, much more could be said except just this one thing. Jeremiah has to have that word of God come to him, verse 11, so that he sees something. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then he says, you've seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. The almond trees were the first things that came out in the spring in, in, in Palestine. And then there's this pot, boiling pot, opening toward or from the north, coming from the north, uh, speaking the judgments that would come upon the people. The almond trees, the same thing. God is saying here, my judgments are just about here. Uh, the harvest of my wrath is just about to be harvested. So he's assuring Jeremiah, now by what he sees, of what he's spoken. And then he can go forward. One final point. This is for the duration. Has to be. When God calls his gifts and calling are without repentance. He, he calls us to heaven when he calls us. He works in us the beginning of faith and he authors also the finishing of our faith and that's when the day of days comes and he comes again. For the duration, beloved. Ah, you can imagine Jeremiah, he's called and He's called and he's encouraged and now he's, he'll do it. Now he can't, he can't deny that God is this God who, who's going to be with him and he's put his words into his mouth and now, and he sees something. And he reminds him when, when the nations come that he's not going to be destroyed by those nations and by the Jews who come to kill him. And the church needs to be reminded then 
when we pursue our calling and the nations come, and, and they come, by the way, because God calls them to come even to be against us. Verse 15, for behold, I'm calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, and says the Lord, and they shall come, and each one will set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. God, who calls Jeremiah, calls the nations to be against Jeremiah. God, who calls the church and parents of the church to be faithful in raising their children, their prophets, their priests, and their kings, is also calling the world to come to the gates of your home and the doors of your church and to your membership and to your clergy and to your elders and to your office bearers, to your deacons. And the reason for this is so that you can show off just how great God is and just how you are made a city and the gates of hell will not prevail against you, this city. Jeremiah was made this day a fortified city in an iron pillar, verse 18, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and against the people of the land, the gentry. They'll fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. Again, for I'm with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Now that's encouragement for the duration, isn't it? In the midst of the discouragement of parenting, of churching, of simply being a Christian in this world. Encouragement, God is with us. And he's articulating our calling, reminding us that he's, he's known us before the foundation of the world. He sent his son to speak to this world and now to speak to us. And he will be with us all the way, all the day, until heaven. Therefore, Jeremiah, I charge you, arise and take up your work. Therefore, Jeremiah's doesn't matter if you're Jeremiah or Mrs. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, arise. Perform your calling. God has called you. He loves you. He'll be with you. Now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Lord, for the word. The word of calling of a prophet and the calling of each of us. The word of Jesus. The word of his death for us, his resurrection for us. The word that because God is for us, nothing can be against us. Lord, we pray to be encouraged. Once again, you've shown you're with us in word and sacrament, celebration as a church, and family and friends. Continue to be near. And make your face shine upon us and give us direction, give us courage. Give us, Lord, to know that you are with us by grace, even when we fall, to pick us up again and to be your city, your citadel of grace and truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.